All right, well, good evening and welcome to Dirt Bike Church. My name is Chuck Lee, Master of Team Faith. Always a pleasure to be with you. Man, a little warm out there today. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, is this Dirt Bike Church? Uh, it's ATB Church, too, for, for, all the, <laughs> for all the people that need to come to know Jesus. It's, it's ATB Church, too. <laughs> hey, let's go ahead and start with a word of prayer. Lord, thanks a lot for today. Just thanks for a beautiful racetrack and, and, a, and a place to come out here and do what we love doing. Uh, we want to put you first, first with our time and this weekend and just uh, still our hearts right now. Give me the words to say, to communicate your truth, and just be near to us, and uh, teach us your ways, O oh Lord. In, in Jesus' name, amen. So we just, finished up, uh, we just finished up an Easter egg hunt for youth activities. We had about 50 kids here, sent them loose on Vendor Row with about 400 eggs. It was done in like 10 minutes flat, man. These kids, they went out there and they found them. Obviously, next weekend, we won't be racing. It is Eastery weekend, but that means tomorrow is Palm Sunday, because it's the week before Easter. Of course, Palm Sunday, I grew up in church culture. I know all about Palm Sunday. I know that that's the day that Jesus came riding into Jerusalem. And everybody was excited because Jesus was coming into town. And they are crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're so excited, they're taking their coats off and they're laying them down on the road so that he actually has pavement to ride his donkey on. And they're laying down palm branches, which is where we get the term Palm Sunday. But how much do we really know about Palm Sunday? That's the extent of my knowledge for a long, long time. Now, here at, uh, at, at Dirt Bike Church, ATV Church, we've been going through the ages and through the pages, going through the Bible, going through the entire Bible in 13 rounds of GNCC 2019. And so we've been stuck in Genesis for the past three weeks, and we're like, man, are we ever going to get the revelation at this pace? We'll never get there. But we've been setting the context, and what we've learned so far is that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and everything that he did, it was good. Matter of fact, at the beginning of creation, everything was good, and there was only one option for bad. And that option was there because God created us to have relationship with him, to love and to be loved in return, but you can't have love without free will, and you can't have free will without choice. And so there was only there was one option to do the wrong thing. Of course, Adam and Eve, they did the wrong thing. And because of that, the created order was actually inverted. So now we are born into sin. We're not born into perfection. We're born into sin, where every option is away from God. There's only one option that actually brings us to God. And of course, we know that option is Jesus Christ. But in order to get us to Jesus who restores our right relationship with God, we learned about God's covenant with Abraham. God comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm going to do a great thing through you. I'm going to reveal myself to the world, use you to do it. Through you, you're going to have the, the Abrahamic covenant, which is a three-part contract with God. Lots of people, lots of land, and great blessing for the entire world. So Abraham has a son, Isaac. Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob has 12 sons. We learned about the 11th son last uh, two weeks ago. We learned about Joseph. Joseph was the favorite of the, of the father. Of course, that didn't go over too good. So the 10 older brothers are like, man, let's kill him. Let's not kill him. We'll sell him. We'll make some money off of this. They send Joseph into slavery in Egypt. And through God's providence, through God's design, through God's grace, Joseph goes from a slave to the second highest in command in the entire country of Egypt. He only reports only to, to Pharaoh himself. There's a famine in the land, and because of Joseph's wisdom, he's put aside food for the seven years of lean, and because of his wisdom, who comes before him? Those ten brothers. He's like, hey, how y'all doing? How's dad and them? Got a younger brother, how's he doing? Why don't you bring them all here to Egypt? Because we got lots of food. Matter of fact, when you come to Egypt, 
tell Pharaoh that you're shepherds because nobody in Egypt likes shepherd people. And Pharaoh will probably give you the land of Goshen to settle in. The land of Goshen is the northern part of Egypt, right where the Nile River branches off into two rivers and there's distributaries and it's, it's fertile land. And Joseph's like, nobody wants to settle up there because nobody in Egypt likes to be a farmer, but that's what we do. It's good land. Pharaoh will give that to you. So sure enough, the brothers and the family, they all move and Pharaoh gives them that land of Goshen, which is awesome because at the time that they moved, they were only a family of about 70 people. If they had stayed in Canaan, they would have been absorbed by the, by the Canaanites. They would have been absorbed and, and the, the, uh, the family of Jacob would be no more. But God had a plan and he had a promise to Abraham. And he removed them from the land of Canaan, put them into a land of safety and security. And there they were able to settle in the land of Goshen and their sons had sons and their sons' sons had sons. And, and before you know it, they multiplied and they multiplied and they multiplied and became almost, became a nation of people, except they end up in slavery in Egypt. And we all are familiar with this story. I want to back up just a little bit to Genesis chapter 15. This is God reaffirming his covenant with Abraham. Abraham believed, this is the passage where Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness, which is how we are made right with God. We believe it's not because we're good at anything. Abraham wasn't particularly good at living life. He made a lot of bad decisions. But he believed God, God counted it to him as, as righteousness. God, The Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they will come out with, the, with great possessions. You guys have all seen The Prince of Egypt, right? The movie, 1998 cartoon but put out by DreamWorks. Prince of Egypt. Actually, it was pretty talent-laden. I didn't know who did the voices in Prince of Egypt. Val Kilmer, Michelle Pfeiffer, Sandra Bullock, just to name a few, were in, in the DreamWorks version of Prince of Egypt. I've, uh, I've, I've grown up in church, and I've read that story of the Exodus many, many times, and honestly, i got to say, that, that cartoon was actually pretty well done for a, uh, for a secular movie company to come in and do it. It was fairly impressive. DreamWorks is the same, same production company that did Shrek, uh, not to be confused with Pixar, who did Cars, which is the all-time greatest movie, but, you know, we'll, we'll get there. There's, there's DreamWorks, The Prince of Egypt, the story of Moses and how he grew up. And, and matter of fact, when the story starts, it starts just like the biblical narrative did, with Moses being in a little basket in the Nile River because Pharaoh had said, man, all these Israelites... There are, thousands, there are more of them than there are of us. If they knew how powerful they were, they would rise up and they would make us their slaves. So before they get any bright ideas, let's make them our slaves. They're still growing too fast. Let's kill all the newborn male children. Throw them, drown them in the river, in the Nile River. And so that's where Moses comes into the scene. His mother wasn't willing to do that. She weaves a little basket for him, puts him in it, floats him out there in the Nile River. And who finds him? Pharaoh's daughter the princess. She's like, oh, hey, a Hebrew baby. I'll raise him as my own. And so she raises Moses in Pharaoh's house. Of course, Moses, and this isn't spelled out, but you can just kind of see it there. Moses comes to a point in his life where he realizes, man, I'm not an Egyptian. I'm a Hebrew. And I see my brothers out there, the Israelites, they're being beaten and whipped. And I'm not good with that. Matter of fact, I feel within me that I was born for something more. I feel like I was made on purpose and for a purpose. I'm supposed to do something about this. But it's all in God's timing. Moses went out there in his own timing. He saw one of his Israelite brothers being beaten by an Egyptian, and he killed the Egyptian 
buried the body in the sand. Nobody will know about it. Well, everybody knew about it. Moses had to flee to the wilderness because now Pharaoh's like, hey, he did what? So Moses has to run off for his own life. He figures he'd just settle out there, be a shepherd, met a girl, had a family. He's going to be a shepherd the rest of his life. Thought that he had a dream. Thought that he was supposed to do something more, but it didn't work out. And then one day, what happens? The burning bush. He's out there and this bush is on fire, but it's not being burned up and he comes near it and God speaks to him and says, Moses, you were created on purpose and for a purpose. I'm ready to accomplish that in your life now. The time is right. I'm going to use you to set my people free. And Moses is like, man, that dream died years ago with me. And God's like, no, I'm God. I am. I am. You know, you're going to do this. I can't do it. God, well, all right, we'll work it out with your brother Aaron. can be your spokesperson, but you're going to go to Pharaoh. And so Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, hey, let my people go. Pharaoh's like, I'm not going to let them go. Let them go. We'll not let them go. It was the original Bohemian Rhapsody. Let them go. We'll not let them go. Before there was queen, there was Moses. And so he says, you know what, Pharaoh? Because of your stubbornness, because of your hard heart, God's going to send judgment. And so God sends plagues. It ended up being ten plagues. It started out with the Nile River turning to blood. For seven days, the Nile River was blood. All the fish died. Everything in there died. It stank. The Bible points out it even stank. And people were digging along the riverbanks trying to find water so they could survive. And Pharaoh's like, no, no, that's, that's, you know, so what? So then comes frogs. And there are frogs everywhere throughout the land of Egypt. They're hopping everywhere, in the kitchen, in the shower, in the bedroom. Frogs everywhere. And Pharaoh's like, well, hold on a second. Frogs? I mean, the Nile River is one thing, but frogs? Okay, you guys can go. Just make the frogs stop. Y'all can leave. So God kills all the frogs in the land. Says that they piled the frogs up in heaps, huge piles, and they stank. And then Pharaoh's like, no, I'm not going to let you guys go. So then God sends the judgment of gnats. The third plague is gnats. The dust of the ground became gnats flying everywhere. That still didn't turn Pharaoh's mind. Flies come next. Still didn't change Pharaoh's mind. The fifth plague was the Egyptian livestock died. Livestock all over the country of Egypt just started dying. The Israelite, the Israelite uh, livestock was all right, but all the Egyptian livestock started dying. Not every single one of them, but enough to cause yet another stench. No difference with Pharaoh. Boils come next. Everybody gets covered in these boils. No difference. Hail. Exodus 9.26 says, Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. And Pharaoh's like, okay. All these other things, I wouldn't let you go, but hail, that's a different story. You can go. Get on out of here. Hail stops. Pharaoh's like, oh, no. I don't think you guys can leave just yet. So then God sends locusts. Locusts ate everything that was left. What the hail didn't destroy, the locusts destroyed. Didn't change Pharaoh's mind. Darkness comes next. The ninth plague of darkness. Three days of pitch black darkness. Only in the Israelite camp was there light. The Egyptians couldn't see anything for three days. And Pharaoh is so angry at Moses. Moses comes up to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's like, Get out of here. Don't let me ever see your face again. And Moses is like, No problem. God says, No. He's telling you to get out of there, not the, not the, not the, the country. I've got one more plague left for him. And after this one, God tells Moses, After this plague, he's going to let you guys go. Matter of fact, he's going to load the Egyptian, your Egyptian neighbors are going to load you up with wealth, and you guys are going to leave this land. Exodus 11.4 says that thus says the Lord about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt will die. doesn't matter if they're rich, if they're poor. The firstborn is going to die of everybody and everything. Livestock, pets, the firstborn is going to die. 
And so in chapter 12, Moses gives the people a breakdown of how this is going to work. And he repeats basically what God tells him to say. God says, Tell the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb. Verse 6 says, And you shall keep that lamb until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Actually, that term twilight is literally translated between the evenings. And that will make sense in just a few minutes here. Then take some of that blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house in which they eat. God goes on and he tells them, have a meal. The lamb that you just killed, roast it and eat it. Have, have a, a meal with unleavened bread. Put the lamb's blood on the entrances to your homes. He says, be ready to move. Have your belt on, your sandals fastened, no flip-flops. You're going to eat in a hurry because you're going to be leaving out of here. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over and no plague will befall you to destroy you. God says, from this day forward, you will remember the Passover. It will be a seven-day celebration for what I'm about to do right now. And you, you guys, you already know how this turned out. God did exactly what God said he would do. The Israelites painted their doorways with the blood of the lamb. The angel of death passed over. And I can hear I can hear the question that some of you have, because it's the same question I had. What is the deal with the sacrifice? Why does the innocent little sheep have to die? Matter of fact, some of the new atheists uh, that we have in our, in our world, in our country today, have posed the question, is God, the Old Testament God, is he just a bloodthirsty mongrel? I mean, he's, he's this horrible guy always talking about stuff. What is the deal? with sacrifice. Let me take you back three weeks ago to our first lesson, that story in Genesis. Adam and Eve, they have, they, everything's good, just the one option to do their own thing. They chose just like any of us would have done to do their own thing. They say, no, 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 no. I want to be the God of my own life and they have it their way. Of course, everything changed in that moment. God comes down in the cool of the day because he wants to have that, that, that relationship with Adam and Eve. He comes down and they're not there. God says, hey, Adam, where are you? Adam says, well, I'm behind this bush here. Why are you hiding behind the bush? Because I don't have any clothes on. God says, well, who told you you were naked? Did you eat of that tree that I told you not to? Of course, God knew that's exactly what they did. And yes, that's what they had done. They realized that they were naked. And what they did, they sewed fig leaves together. Now, in light of the curse, it occurs to me, that Adam was really lucky that he chose fig leaves and not poison ivy. Because that could have turned out really bad for him. I am so allergic to that stuff. I'm afraid of it. That curse, man, that's one thing that needs to go away. I'm looking forward to that day. But God says, so you ate of that tree, and now there's a penalty. What did I tell you was going to happen? If you eat of that tree, death comes into the world. These guys, they didn't even know what death was. Of course, 900 and some years later, Adam dies. But in that moment, the day of sin... The day of reckoning in that day, what did God do next? Do you remember? He made them clothes. He made them clothes from the skin of an animal. That means an innocent animal had to die to cover the sin of the man. And it has been like that from the very beginning. Why? Because God doesn't put up with sin. God is perfect and He is holy. And there is no sin in God's presence to which I say... Hallelujah. You know why? Because I'm so tired of sin. 
I'm tired of the sin in my own life. I'm tired of those thoughts that just pop in like, man, I didn't even want to think that. And that that thought just jumped I do things I don't want to do. This is what Paul said in Romans chapter 7. I do the things I don't want to do. I don't do the things that I do want to do. But God had a way. He had a plan from the very beginning. You know, in this country, we get so tired of the injustice. The O.J. Simpsons, the Casey Anthony, it came out in the news a couple weeks ago that rich people have been paying their kids' way into prestigious colleges. There's a sentence passed down this past week that, hey, these rich people are not going to serve time in jail. But which one of us really thinks that they're going to serve the time that, they do, that they're due? I mean, Paris Hilton was convicted to 45 days in jail. She served three days. I long for the day where we don't have to have 45-day sentences for anything because nobody's doing those dumb things. Because there's a day coming when God's going to make all those things right where we get to reinvert the order of creation. The penalty for sin is death from the very beginning. God had that plan. He allowed a substitute. And now, in the land of Egypt, sin abounds. I mean, God's promise to Abraham is that you're going to be a nation of many people. You're going to have your own land. But there is no hope because the sin of the Egyptians is holding down, oppressing the Israelites. There is no hope. There's thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people. But there's no land and there's no hope of getting to that land that God had promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob because of the sin of the Egyptian people. And so the promise, the promise to Abraham is once again in jeopardy. And God says at this point, he says, sacrifice a lamb, paint the doorpost, and I will pass over. In other words, there will be an atonement through this lamb. The blood of the lamb will be an atonement for your sin. I will pass over the penalty for your sin because the blood right here this is very very symbolic so that's what they do they paint their doorposts with the blood of the lamb they have their meal the angel of death comes at midnight passes over the israelites families into the egyptian man there's penalty there the firstborn of everything dies the firstborn son the firstborn children the firstborn pets the firstborn livestock at this point pharaoh's had enough he's like for real y'all get on out of here as the israelites are leaving their neighbors their egyptian neighbors load them up with food and clothing and silver and gold and say, get on out of here. And God leads them out of Egypt, a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day, and he leads them. Instead of leading them straight to the promised land, which is through the, through the land of the Philistines, God says, these, guys, these people are not ready for war yet. We're going to take the scenic route. We know this part of the story too. Have you ever heard that God will never give you more than you can handle? Of course, the response to that is, yeah, but I just wish he didn't trust me so much. I mean, it's, yeah, it's kind of funny, but it's absolutely false. Because what happens in this story, God leads them to the Red Sea. There's a dead end. There's the Red Sea. God leads them to a dead end. And what happens then? Pharaoh changes his mind. He's like, what have I done? I was building this pyramid for myself, and these guys were making my bricks, and now I'm not going to have my pyramid. I don't know if he was building a pyramid or not, but I know the Israelites were making bricks. He says, man, I've lost my free labor force. i got to go get them. And he pursues them with his entire army. And so now the Israelites are in a situation that's bigger than they are. It's more than they can handle because there's certain death in front of them, and there's probable death and certain imprisonment behind them. And, of course, then... That's when God really, really shines. When you're in a situation that's more than you can handle, this is when God shows up. He says, Moses, stretch out your staff. The Red Sea parts. They walk through on dry ground. They get to the other side. Pharaoh and his army, they arrive. They see the Israelites going through the Red Sea. Like, wow, that's probably mind-blowing. But, hey, 
If they can do it, we can do it. That doesn't always work out, does it? I remember a few years ago when Charlie Mullins was racing, he lapped me. He passed me. It was right at a uh, right at the swamp down there in Florida, and he hydroplaned across the swamp. I was like, that is the coolest thing I've ever done. If he can do it, <laughs> I can't do it, <laughs> but I tried. <laughs> it was just like Pharaoh, man. I went swimming. Pharaoh goes charging into the middle of the Red Sea. The waters collapse. The entire Egyptian army is destroyed. Not just destroyed, they're obsolete. They're gone. And the Israelites are on the other, other side of the Red Sea, and they're looking at this, and they're seeing this, and they're like, Wow, we are free. There's nobody to pursue us. There is nobody to say, come back to Egypt. There's nobody that's going to be the boss of us. We are free indeed. That God guy, that promise that he made, here we are. Man, he told Abraham 400 years we'd be a sojourners in a foreign land. He brings, look at that. That's actually happening. And so the Israelites march through and right around. They're there. God promises, his promises hold fast even when we see no way. It says that in the Egyptian story, it says that there were 600,000 men that marched through the Red Sea, plus the women and children. God's promise to Abraham, lots of people, as numerous as the sand on the seashore, numerous as the stars in the sky, God's promises are coming true. We know that the promised land is in front of them. Lots of people, lots of land. Through you, the entire world will be blessed. Here we are in 2019. We know that the whole world's been blessed because of Jesus. But in order to get to Jesus, we have all this history of how God is making and working His promise to come through. Now here's the intersection. Here's the really cool part of of this weekend. Because this lesson tonight on the Exodus is where where there's an intersection of something that happened 3,500 years ago intersects with something else that happened 2,000 years ago and affects our lives today. You remember God's instructions to the Israelites? He says, hey, tell the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of the month, every man shall take a lamb. Keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight, which means in between the evenings. In the Jewish calendar, the first month of the year is the month of Nisan. N-I-S-A-N, Nisan. The first month of the new year, as per God's ordinance, back in Egypt, the tenth day of the month of Nisan, get your sheep, because this will become the first day of Passover celebration. God, later on in His law to the Israelites, and it's recorded in Leviticus, says, in the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. On the fifteenth day is the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. The sixteenth day is a day from work. It's the last day of the Passover. The first day and the last day of Passover is a day off of work. The first day is the tenth of Nisan. You bring your sheep in. Fast forward this and let's reconcile the month of Nisan with our calendar today. We use what's called the Gregorian calendar. It was invented by Pope Gregory the 13th who introduced this in 1582. The Gregorian calendar spaces leap years to make the average year 365 and a quarter day. You know every four years we have 366 days. That's the Gregorian calendar back from the 1500s. Go back to AD 33. Reconcile our Gregorian calendar with the Jewish calendar. AD 33 specifically March 29th AD 33 would be a Sunday. March 29th, AD 33, that Sunday is also Nissan 10. What happens on Nissan 10? First month of the 10th day, bring your sheep 
for Passover. First, the, the first day of Passover, Jesus. <laughs> okay, get myself back on track here. Nisan the tenth, Sunday. Passover is just about to begin. AD thirty-three. There's this guy Jesus coming to Jerusalem. Reputation has been spreading like crazy for the last three years. This guy Jesus has been going around the region of Galilee, going right into Jerusalem, been causing quite a stir with a lot of the religious leaders. But at the same time, he's been doing a lot of really cool things. Man, there's a story where he fed five thousand people. And people are getting to the idea that, hey man, this guy Jesus, if we could make him our king, we could defeat the Romans. He could feed us, he could heal us, because he's healing all kinds of people. Everywhere he goes, people get healed. There's even a rumor. At this time, the month of Nisan, right near the tent, there's a rumor that Jesus raised a dead man to life. The guy's name was Lazarus. Happened about two miles from Jerusalem. Rose this went to Lazarus' tomb after he'd been dead for four days and said, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus came forward. It says in John records that the Pharisees want to kill Lazarus because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus, which is crazy to me. Lazarus is already dead once. He comes back to life. Now they want to kill him again. What do you think Jesus could do? But they want to kill him because more people are believing in Jesus than are following the old religious order. And now there's a rumor that Jesus is coming into town for Passover. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. The population of Jerusalem at this time was about 40,000 people in first century A.D. It was about 40,000 people for Passover. It would, it would be six times the size. So almost a quarter million people were in, in Jerusalem at this time. So there's this huge, huge crowd. There's a rumor circulating that Jesus is coming. And so they took this crowd, they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel, which is pretty cool because they're, they're actually living out a prophecy from Psalm chapter 118. Not only that, but Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, on a, colt, uh, on a donkey that had never been wrote, written before. The prophet Zechariah had said that's exactly what the Messiah would do. But prophecy aside, this is the first day of Passover goes all the way back to what God did way back in Egypt. This is the first day of a Passover celebration. And here and now we call it Palm Sunday because all these people were getting ready for Jesus. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Here comes Jesus riding in. What else was coming in into Jerusalem on that day? Remember, it's the first day of Passover. What happens the first day of Passover? Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb and hold on to it until the 14th day of Nisan. What's coming in? Jesus is coming in. Sheep are coming in for Passover. Sheep are coming in to be slaughtered in this celebration. Is it starting to make sense now? How Jesus, the Lamb of God, is coming into Jerusalem at the same time. Thousands of sheep are coming in to be sacrificed to atone for the sin of of, of the men in, in Jerusalem at that time. First thing Jesus does, he comes into Jerusalem, he cleanses the temple. He says, y'all are selling these sheep for profit. You're making a mockery of my father's house. My father's house is a house of prayer. It's not a place for profit. He drives the money changers out of the, out of the, uh, out of the temple. And now we have a little bit of context in 2019. Now we understand a little bit more about why Jesus was so upset about making a profit off of the blood of the lambs. Nisan 13 is a Thursday. It's the day that the sheep are to be slaughtered. Remember God said, well, You shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight between the evenings. Evening time 
on the Jewish calendar, evening was 6 o'clock. That's actually when the next day would start. So on Thursday at 6 o'clock, Nisan the 14th began. Jesus, on that night, right there, on Nisan 13, right there that night, He had His Last Supper. We know that this is His Last Supper. John points out that it's not the Passover meal that they eat because Passover is the next day. But during this Last Supper, Jesus institutes a new covenant. We call it today, we call it communion. The old covenant is that the family slaughters a lamb and they share a meal together. The new covenant, Jesus said this. He says, He took the bread and when He had given thanks, He broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. You see, this is God's plan coming true. What happened next, though? No one, except for Jesus, expected it. Even though He had said it many, many times, no one believed this would actually happen. Jesus was arrested. And Jesus, the Messiah, the promised one, the King of Kings, not only was He arrested, He was crucified and put to death. And all the lambs at the same time being slaughtered for Passover because it was between the evenings. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record that Jesus died. Died in the ninth hour. The ninth hour, according to that calendar, would be about three o'clock in the afternoon between the evenings. (laughs) And now, because of Jesus' death, His blood that was shed was shed for the entire sins of the whole world. It's through Him that we have access to that blessing that God had promised to Abraham. It's through Him we have access to eternal life. How do we know? How do we know that that was was an appropriate sacrifice to God? Because on the third day, God did something that only God could do. He rose Jesus from the dead. He's alive. He's alive and well, and it's through Him. Just like Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, we believe God. We put our faith and our trust in Jesus. And God counts that to us as righteousness. You see, the most important day was Friday, April 3rd, A.D. 33. That would be Nisan the 14th. The blood of the Lamb paid the penalty for us. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, that's what this is all about. Everything, through the ages and through the pages, that's what it's all leading up to. Is God's promise coming true through the person of Jesus Christ. I have Bibles up here. If you don't own one, you're welcome to one. God, let me just pray for these folks right now. I just thank you for your word. Thank you for what you did. It makes so much sense when we're able to put this in context. And we see that through the ages and through the pages, you always had a plan. And your plan was to redeem your special creation, mankind. Lord, for those that have not placed their trust in you, I just pray that you will not let them rest until they get it right with you. Confess our sins. And I know that you're faithful and just to forgive us and to give us new life in Jesus Christ. Keep us safe as we go. Draw us to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. If you need to talk more about that, man, my name's Chuck. I'm going to be right up here. I would love to talk to you in more detail about that. Thanks so much, and have a great race tomorrow.